Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL, where you truly do hear from legends. Thanks for joining me again for another terrific interview, and this week's guest is Yamaha's Bob Malone, trumpet guru. Bob's got some great insight on the trumpet world, and he shares a bit about who influenced him early on. But you won't hear about that specifically in this interview, but you can listen to it if you become a Patreon patron. More about that in just a minute. But right now, I need to let you know more about the show's sponsors. And we'll start with Messina Covers. Messina Covers is not just any other case company. David Messina and Erica Howard design and produce some of the most beautiful cases that fit both form and function. You can choose your case design, fabric and trim color, custom embroidery, and more. Find out more at MessinaCovers.net. Thursday evenings at 8 p.m. is when you can tune in and listen to the radio version of these interviews. Each week I choose highlights from an interview and add in musical selections written in or performed by the guest. And you can find this show on the FM dial at 88.7 WICR The Diamond. You can also tune in via the iHeartRadio app. Again, that's each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. Peter Pickett and his crack team of craftspeople are continually innovating and providing the trumpet community with spectacular options for stock and custom mouthpieces. He and Eric Marine can help you find just the right size to fit your needs, and you should definitely consider trying the acrylic cup and rim. And if you're in the market for a custom trumpet, then Peter and Eric can build a Blackburn trumpet just for you. Check them out at picketblackburn.com. To stay current on what's going on with Studio HFL, you can follow me on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, at Studio HFL. And you can watch the live and pre-recorded interviews on the YouTube channel. And you know, while you're there, you ought to just go ahead and subscribe. My first experience with a Hammond Design mouthpiece has turned into a bit of an obsession. From one to, well, I think it's more than 30 now. Um, and just don't tell my wife. There's something very comfortable about playing one of Carl's mouthpieces. The comfort, response, and sound are part of that HD experience. Try one of the stock mouthpieces or have Carl make you a custom one. Either way, everything is better in HD. You can find out more at carlhammonddesign.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would take just a couple of minutes, go to Apple Podcast, and leave a star rating and a review. Doing so will help improve the visibility of this podcast and draw more listeners. When I first tried an Eastman B-flat trumpet a few years ago, I was blown away by the playability and the sound. And the more I found out about the company and got to know the people, I knew that this was a company I wanted to have a relationship with. There's a drive for excellence in design and production of every instrument, not just the high-end products. And the proof of this is the one and only Doc Severinsen helped design the Eastman beginner model trumpet. I still play my B-flat and have added a spectacular cornet and flugelhorn to my arsenal. Find out more at eastmanwins.com. I would love it if you would visit the Studio HFL website and sign up for the weekly newsletter. While you're there, you can also visit the merch page and buy a Studio HFL shirt for yourself and as a gift for someone else. Of course, that is at studiohfl.com. My current situation with my C trumpet is ridiculous. My Shire C, which Samantha Lane helped me trial and choose, is the most versatile C I've ever played. The line of Shire's trumpets includes the Q series, which are production models, and the custom series, which is exactly that, they're custom horns. Either way you go, you'll love the sound you get, and you'll also experience exceptional customer service. Find out more at seshires.com. 
And lastly, here is how you can access exclusive content like the interview excerpts. I'd like to invite you to become a part of the Studio HFL community by going to Patreon and choosing from one of the four tiers of support. You can help financially support this show for as little as $36 per year. That's only $3 a month. Benefits include exclusive access to interview excerpts, a behind-the-scenes report, an invitation to be in the room with a guest during an interview, product discounts, and more. Join the community of faithful supporters by visiting patreon.com slash studiohfl. And now, on with my interview with Bob Malone. So then my first question is going to be, are you a trumpet player? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm, well, um, I'm not playing now, but mm-hmm. uh, my... Uh, my intention back in the beginning before I, I took a turn into what I'm doing now was um, performance and, uh, and playing. And I did play. Um, uh, I've got a, a degree, proper performance degree um, and from USC and did the young freelance travel player bit around Los Angeles and uh, met a lot of People played with a lot of people that I work with now on the other side. Yeah, Wayne uh, Bergeron being one. Yeah, and others. So. Yeah. Well, and that was something I had just brought up towards the end of Wayne's interview is the number of people that you've—I uh, wouldn't say worked for, but worked with mm-hmm. uh, or alongside of—is remarkable. And you know, it's one reason that they're successful is, of course, who they are. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's um, but to have a quality instrument in their hands and then people they trust. You know, mm-hmm. like I was saying to Wayne, when they need help, uh, either improving or fixing something, that's nice. So, um, yeah, I the Yamaha trumpets. So, the story I was wrapping up. I don't know if you heard part of it was, uh, well, you did. Uh, how I played one of the Chicago B flats, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was like, now I got to buy this. You know, what I remember was the first experience I had with Yamaha was a flugelhorn that my parents bought me back in 1980, and I sold that thing not very long after that, and I regret that to this day because I uh-huh. thought um, it was a great horn, and I don't know whatever possessed me to get rid of it, but I wish I had held on to that instrument. Yeah. But um, so we're, we're here to know about you, not about me. So <laughs> enough. What do you think about me? <laughs> it's like when a, a worse. I date. think you're doing a fine. You know, I think these yeah. interviews you're doing um, have have been wonderful. You know, oh, thank you. On the uh, aspect of getting to know people beyond the name is yeah. uh, it's really great it's been great for me to watch some of those too well thank you i appreciate that um you know and, and wayne's like i can't believe you you know i see all these names but i'll say the same thing to you i put you in that same category i mean you guys are legendary and in, in the tr- well more than just the trumpet world but that's what i know and um it's like so i want to know what makes you guys tick I want to know. Uh, and it's nice to, you know, trumpet player with a trumpet degree. So you would have known Ronnie Rom. Oh, sure. Well, Ronnie was gone by, by the time. Okay. I, but, uh, you know, from there, um, I mentioned meeting Wayne, and I actually met Wayne uh, while playing at Disneyland. And uh, as I met a number of other players, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Disney has been kind of a portal through which a lot of really wonderful players yeah. and including John Hagstrom, who played in the All-American College Band. And it's uh, he was out playing at Disneyland in the summer, and that's when we first met, when he was uh, going mm-hmm. to college at Eastman. And that's when our relationship started. Yeah, it's really funny to see those videos pop up on YouTube with them and their Disney 
uh -huh. caught uh, uniforms, right? <laughs> to see them when they well, were kids. Yeah, well, this was um, in 1980. Well, I, I think my first uh, year playing out there, and it was a seasonal thing in the beginning, was um, 1978, Christmas of 1978 or something, mm -hmm. uh, 79. And then 1980 was the 25th anniversary of Disneyland. And they decided to use um, the Fanfare Trumpeters, which is the group that I played in, mm -hmm. um, all year long. But uh, and that's where I met a lot of uh, of the really wonderful working mm -hmm. musicians. In fact, um, Andy Martin, who is a world class jazz player, he's you know a lister in the studios. Um, I first met him uh, my first year playing in the Disney Fanfare Trumpet Unit. He and his brother Stan, who is a trumpet player, both played trumpet in that group. I had no idea to play trombone um, until later, but mm -hmm. uh, that was a great experience for sure. How many years did you do that? I played out in Disneyland uh, from, like I said, probably Christmas of uh, season of 1978 through 1987. And that's when I, um, I made the choice uh, to stop pursuing uh, a playing career and devote all of my time into, um, into my business. But what was the business? Bob Malone's Brass Technology. And that's, um, uh, I started uh, kind of my path, um, you know, the Cliff Notes version was, um, I needed, you know, I needed some extra money. I needed a part-time job to help, you know, supplement my, um, my young trumpet player, freelancer, playing income. Uh, and one of my roommates worked for um, a, a very highly regarded uh, brass technician designer, Larry Minnick, uh, in, uh, who had a shop in West Los Angeles. And I don't know uh, why Larry hired me. Um, my roommate, Wayne, must have made some kind of a deal with him, but, um, but he did. And so... Uh, you know, between Tom and Larry, um, kind of those paths all coming together, that's, mm -hmm. that created a career. So as I, um, my skills got better uh, on the brass technician side, and I was still actively pursuing a playing career, I started mm -hmm. experimenting with my own trumpets to try to improve them. And that's when I got into lead pipe design and, mm -hmm. uh, and then, Tom Stevens and I were still very close and he would play what I did and like them. And he started playing them or telling other people about them. And, and so uh, an unplanned career uh, <laughs> hit me in the face. And, uh, and it grew to the point where I really did need to decide what are you going to do? Right. I had a, um, I had a big pull uh, both emotionally at that point and just, you know, the demands on, um, on what I was making were great enough to roll mm -hmm. upright. I couldn't do both anymore. Ed. So, I mean, the repair started before you built the business or opened the business. Uh, How did you get into that? Well, it was, um, you know, like I said, it was um, starting with Larry and uh, at point zero, and it was really kind of an old school apprenticeship, you know, with him. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he was very old school guy he was completely um hands-on there were you know he uh he was all about the crafts of everything from whether it's taking dents out to um 
you know, to assembling things. I, my first, one of my first jobs when I got there, he taught me how to use a milling machine. And I, I finished making all of the parts and assembling the draw bench that we used to mm-hmm. uh, initially to make trombone um, slide tubes with. And, uh, and then, you know, teach me how to and how to solder and, you know, and things like that. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, as, as my skills got better uh, and he was less afraid of giving these things uh, <laughs> where either I wouldn't hurt myself. Or, yeah. Uh, it I went that way, but, um, you know, my, uh, you know, the part that really drove me was the creative part and, uh, uh, the design aspect of it. Where, how did you come to that though? I mean, was it the sort of thing where you're looking at these, these, uh, instruments coming across your repair bench and thinking I could make this better or was it a trial and error obviously most things are trial and error right that's how we get well you start from a point you know wherever you're at is where you start from uh in my case you know as i said i was still actively playing and um and i was really focused on c trumpets and you know c trumpets at that time uh you, you know we look at where we're at now, it's a completely different world. But back at the time, you know, a standard C trumpet, a big modification to a box C trumpet was putting a B flat tuning slide on it. Uh, and then, um, you know, the Schilke Bach conversions that at the time, those were, you know, those were big. Uh, so it was really trying to make my own C trumpet work better. And, you know, as you know, um, playing those instruments, they were, you really had to work hard to get around all of the shortcomings, you know, right. from the intonation problems were obvious, but color shifts and, um, and all of the things that kind of came with the instruments of the day. And it was, mm-hmm. I just wanted to make it easier for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and kind of looking at the design as it was and and trying to figure out where are the weak points you know what uh come up with a theory as to why this thing was happening and then experimenting to see mm-hmm. if that was the case and you know and if it was what could you do to improve it and that's that's why in the beginning i focused on lead pipes but it still seems like that's the mentality right what can we continue to improve right that's yeah. Well, and, you, you know, you think about, um, I mean, the opportunity that I had at the time in terms of design was, uh, you know, it, it was a big open door because uh, there were a lot of shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think over time, every manufacturer has kind of upped their game. But the instruments right now, uh, you know, people don't take it, you know, you, you take for granted that an instrument plays in tune with itself now. Uh, <laughs> Back in the day, that just wasn't. <laughs> it was not the case. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, so it's as we've gone along. You know, if, if you know somebody was young like I was trying to get into it now, you know, you know the opportunity, the shortcomings are much less and far fewer than they were you know, at the time that I started. Um, so uh, as we've gone along with trumpet development um you know as i think wayne said in his conversation with you talking about how the development never truly stops right in the case of yamaha um you you can really point to it that 
development of the trumpets that we have now started back, especially um, say mid um, mid 1980s, mm-hmm. uh, early mid 1980s, when uh, Yamaha, Kenzo Kawasaki, and Hiro Okabe decided to break away from the Schilke influence because Reynold Schilke was uh, was a big trusted advisor for Yamaha, and if mm-hmm. you at the the trumpets at the time, uh, they were very similar, you know, mm-hmm. Schilke's and the Yamahas. Um, but uh, going with a heavy wall trumpet is what it was mm-hmm. called uh, was a pretty big departure. And mm-hmm. so the work that they started, you know, really it's been sort of passing the baton from generation to generation mm-hmm. of designers. And you know, I've um, been um, honored to be a part of a big chunk of that, um, mm-hmm. especially in the end. Um, but it, it's that whole philosophy of Kaizen, you know, which is continuous improvement. And, mm-hmm. and that's what, well, I think why we've landed where we, where we, you know, we didn't just all of a sudden decide, okay, mm-hmm. we need to do this. It's just, uh, it's been an evolution of work that was done before. Well, that's why there's a first generation, then there's a second generation, uh-huh. right? And there will probably be a third, and uh, yeah. that's exactly it, you know? And I think that's, well, I know, that's how you survive in the business. If you stay the same, you're done. If you don't mm-hmm. continually try to improve, and even the smallest thing, right? Sure. Can, well, can, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. 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 yeah I, th- I think it's um, continuing to learn and, you know, build on that knowledge base and, I think you're. If you get to a point where you think you figured it out, you're probably <laughs> done. You know. Yeah. But it it is the kind of thing that you walk through a door and then all of a sudden you see things you or you become aware of things that you you didn't know and you realize that you still don't know a lot. And mm-hmm. I think Wayne would say the same thing, and maybe he did. But as we've gotten into this. Um, the more you get into it and the deeper we go and the more you know knowledge we're getting, the more you know that you don't know and how complicated um, you know, an acoustic system is, uh, mm-hmm. these brass instruments and trumpets, you know, mm-hmm. about trumpets. But yeah, I think the improvements um, in the future are really gonna be tied into you know, understanding relationships that people probably haven't thought of within the trumpet um, and how they, how different things work together. So, you know, what I know about Wayne is I've been to the Atelier in New York a couple of times. He's, you know, been the magician on my trumpets. Um, You're more on the design end of things, the front end of things, is that right? Well, uh, my uh, my role at Yamaha now is overseeing um, all of the art. You know, I oversee all the ateliers, and in fact, now I oversee drum <laughs> development too. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be designing drums, so no worries. Uh, we have an incredibly talented drum designer, um, but you know, my uh, my background started in repair. Mm-hmm. Uh, my love was design, and I really—that's how my business really grew. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the Malone Bach conversions, the Malone Yamaha conversions, mm-hmm. the lead pipes, the you know different things. I mean, you can kind of clearly see that's where my heart was at. Um, and on the Yamaha side, um, you know, design the you know the ateliers function as an R and D. Um, kind of boots on the ground for Yamaha. And so, um, you know, that's design is 
really what I'm involved in. Now. Not so much repair um, anymore. But uh, working with our artists and with players, you know, the same kind of ex- experience that you had when you walked into New York and, you know, working with Wayne to adjust mm-hmm. your trumpet and make it better. You know, those are all um, things that I've done uh, and it grew out of, um, you know, my business even before I joined Yamaha. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the idea of, um, of adjusting edges is something that I came up with um, quite a long time ago mm-hmm. uh, to try to figure out how could you shift um, resistance uh, and make a horn feel more open or less open non-destructively. And so, um, you know, sort of the tapping of the lead pipe venturi and so And I taught Bobby Shu that. And so, you know, um, Bobby has adjusted, you know, probably more trumpets, more Z trumpets than right. as few others uh, than both Wayne and I combined. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a good example of how starting with a small you know, knowledge and then expanding it. And Wayne has really kind of taken that, um, you know, he's incredibly curious as you probably know, Um, and, um, you know, continuing to experiment. And so between uh, the two of us, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other and sharing knowledge um, and adding in to our colleagues in Europe and Japan who are kind of doing the same thing, you know, it's just an enabled um, an idea to go from something small to much more, um, uh, much broader and deeper, mm-hmm. you know, and allowed us to uh, to help people in a greater way than we, we did when we first started. You look back at the first adaptations or your first Malone pipe, and would you look at that now and think, what was I thinking? You know, I mean, it, has the evolution of that been so great or is that really like that first light bulb that worked and now you've just improved it? Well, I think, um, you know, the, I, the idea, um, and w- firstly, the way I did it, you know, was I took every lead pipe taper I could get my hands on and I analyzed the heck out of it. So I carefully measured uh, so that I could plot what the tapers were like. Um, I started working with them before I made my own pipes. Um, I modified uh, Bach and Kahn pipes. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are probably still some out there, but uh, my my first pipe that I did with that oversleeve, um, mm-hmm. because what I had decided would be a way to improve intonation was to, you know, kind of. Um, make a better transition uh, into the bore of the instrument. You know, with C trumpets, uh, traditional C trumpet design, the lead pipe taper is actually pretty short and there's a gap in bore size between the end of the pipe, you know, and the actual bore itself. And that that gap, you know, has shown to cause, you know, certain kinds of of intonation. Mm -hmm. So so then the question became, how do you design uh, essentially a reverse lead pipe? that does solve that problem um, and not create another problem with brace placement. Because if you start to move braces around on the bell, and especially if you move it back on the bell, um, then you create instability and you're dealing with, um, you know, not very uh, optimal places. Mm -hmm. um, And it it creates all kinds of other issues. Mm -hmm. So my solution was creating that oversleeve where I could keep the, the, 
flange on the bell in the optimal place and still have a reverse lead pipe essentially. So that oversleeve was kind of maybe my first kind of big innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and then the next step for me was after getting as much as I could out of those lead pipe tapers, I had kind of in my mind formulated an idea for a, a, what a taper would look like to make mm-hmm. it even better. And, um, and so I made a mandrel and this was, you know, working with Larry, lear- <laughs> learning how to do things like that. So I did it the old school way. I'd plotted out the, the taper and I took a tool steel and I machined it, you know, in steps of a quarter of an inch, you know, carefully measuring, and it was a stair-step thing, and then blending mm-hmm. it all together uh, to create the mandrel, and that ended up being my number one taper. Wow. Uh, and then the number two came out of, uh, came later after a number of people played the pipes, and there were a lot of people who loved them, um, mm-hmm. but there were some that, that felt uh, they needed something different. And so I had another idea of how I could create a pipe that would satisfy those people and did the same thing, and that was my number two taper. And then I used those two basic tapers to create pipes for B-flat, C, D-E-flat, mm-hmm. E, uh, trumpet, and... Um, that's when I did the curved pipe for the mm-hmm. dot conversion and, and that whole thing. And, and those are the pipes that Yamaha has incorporated into the artist model trumpets. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so they're still, yeah, still out there and being used. And so and, I, I, now I'm curious, uh, the designs that you made, were those considered, uh, would you consider those proprietary? Did, did you own a patent or... Well, uh, so I, again, kind of through uh, Larry's influence, um, Larry always thought that um, the best protection you could have is not tell people what you're doing because uh, because you can, uh, you know, if making, um, if recreating a Mount Vernon or a New York Bach trumpet was easy, all you do is take it to somebody to measure it out and then just duplicate it or the same thing goes with a Stradivarius violin uh, clearly there's more that goes into making a trumpet play a certain way than just you know the dimensions and the specifications mm-hmm. so uh so i kind of went the route that larry did which was um there are things that I would do in a, when making the, the lead pipes uh, that were not obvious um, processes and so on, that even if somebody were to duplicate what the dimensions of the pipe were, they'd never be able to get the same kind of sound and performance out of it. Mm-hmm. That being said, uh, the ironic thing is I do have patents. Mm-hmm. I have patents on clarinet parts, though. So. Yep. Um, you know, I had a conversation over lunch with uh, with one of my friends um, who was who I invited to share shop space in my mm-hmm. shop, uh, Ruben Allen. And Ruben is uh, is pretty well known and respected in the LA area as a woodwind um, technician. And uh, and I thought, you know, I can make a clarinet barrel. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I decided I would try, and rather than having to make the whole barrel, uh, you know, the, all of the, the parts, you know, 
knowing there was a learning curve involved, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I made the, the two um, ends, the sockets, mm -hmm. uh, screw pieces, so I wouldn't have to continually make those, and I could experiment with the, mm -hmm. uh, with the bore itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was not a big deal for me, screw rim mouthpieces and back bores, and mm -hmm. those are things that are common in the brass world, but it was not common in the woodwind world. And, and he flipped out over it, so we went through and went through the patent process and we created a company and so voila, after spending a bunch <laughs> of money and time, I have, you know, I had a patent on clarinet parts. So, But yeah, on the trumpet side, I never, uh, never patented anything. Yeah. Looking back, I probably should have patented the oversleeve and, you know, maybe the S-shaped pie that, but uh, a lot of people have copied them, but I still feel like I'm ahead of the pack with, you know, the pipes themselves and how they work. Were you the first to do a reverse pipe? Well, I think, no, I don't think so. I think reverse pipes uh, have been around for a long time. You know, uh, my uh, my oversleeve solution for brace, right. that was, um, and that was pretty innovative. Um, you know, you think about <clears throat> all the different, <clears throat> well, Wayne mentioned some of the things about cryogenics, you know, all the things that people can try. And I don't know if cryogenics is still a big thing, but even... Uh, going from an ovate tuning slide to, uh, uh, well, curved, I guess is, a, is what you call it. You know, the differences like that, I still look at that and think, how can such a little thing make such a big difference? And and it was, you know, we talked about this with Wayne, where he replaced, in my third valve slide, he replaced the guide with a different material. Right, sure. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how does this work? You know, and it's, well, thanks to people like you who are, you know, constantly working on, you know, let's try this. Uh -huh. Let's see what happens when, you know, and that's, I think that's where these, you know, these great instruments come out. And of course, you guys do it at such a high level too. And yeah, people are going to copy you, but that's what drives, you know, such great competition out there. So, you know, I'm associated with Shires now. And I've had students ask me, oh, you're going to try to sell me Shires. And I said, no. Uh -huh. I said, I want you to go out and try as many different trumpets as you can. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I said, there are so many great horns out there because the ex the competition, right, has driven excellence. Uh -huh. Everybody, if you're going to survive, you better put a good product out there. Uh, absolutely. And I said, if you end up buying a Shires or an Eastman, uh -huh. that's great. You know, but I want you to buy what you're going to what you're going to uh -huh. sound the best on and, and can afford. <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I still, you know, I don't think Shires would get upset with me saying that. I think they probably feel the same way. I hope you're enjoying today's interview. This is just a short break to remind you to visit Messina Covers, Pickett Blackburn, Hammond Design, Eastman Winds, and the SE Shires websites to check out their exceptional products and services. They design and produce the things that make trumpet playing easier and more enjoyable. You can find links to their websites in the show notes. Now back to the interview well i you know it's uh if you i remember reading an article and maybe it was itg years and years ago uh talking about the history of bach you know and uh, you know our, musical instruments um are very derivative you know the way it's gone and you know the modern classical trumpets were uh very influenced by the old french uh you know, the pre-war French bassins and so on. And mm -hmm. if I'm remembering correctly from this article that Bach, you know, really 
uh, tried to hire, in fact, these two brothers that were known for making really wonderful copies of, you know, French Bessons. Mm -hmm. So you think about the, you know, the names that were, well, I'm familiar with, maybe the youngest people, not so much, but... um, (laughs) So, you know, Bach, of course, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and then Colicchio and Donald mm-hmm. Bench and, and those guys who were, if you look at those designs, they were very much um, related to those old French as a starting point. And then, you know, people started uh, to develop their own improvements or variations, and they all went on in a direction. Uh, but uh, I would say... You know, uh, violin design, you know, is clearly influenced by those old um, Italian instruments, you know. Um, So anyway, uh, I think, is there anything new? I think, sure, within, you know, within the parameters of what, what, where we're at with Mm -hmm. Trump designs and what people are looking for and, Mm -hmm. you know, what the the needs um, of the players are you know, with the type of music and mm-hmm. expectations that audiences have, that music directors have, that mm-hmm. orchestras, that drives a choice. And, you know, and the choice, you know, is, um, might be influenced to a, to a certain degree, but it's, yeah. you know, it's that whole thing. Well, you know, it, everybody's got a market. Yeah, Yamaha has their market. Andy Taylor has his market. And I bring him up because he creates some of the most visually stunning huh. trumpets. I mean, he huh. really gets creative with that, sure. you know, mm-hmm. but that's not Yamaha's thing, right? That's, and Jason Harrelson, you know, these guys mm-hmm. who are really creating, right. I look at it as a, it's a, it's a visceral kind of experience, right? Sure. The visual. And at the same time though, their horns still play great, but I couldn't imagine sitting down in an orchestra section with, you know, a heart shaped, trumpet you know i mean the taylor um would be too much of a distraction but uh and i owned a couple of taylors for a while in fact that's what i sold to buy my yamahas <laughs> so uh-huh. um but you know i, I appreciate uh, the creativity and and just the visual design of things uh-huh. they're, they're gorgeous for sure yeah um so do you feel a, a pressure necessarily to and maybe even from yourself or from yamaha to like okay i gotta come up with the next big thing or is it just kind of the steady process of you know i think um it's not you know i think one of the things that distinguishes uh yamaha from others uh you know and not knowing exactly what other how others you know deal with their process is uh and wayne likely talked about listening you know we're you know not um (laughs) leading people down a path you know and and sort of forcing an end result but um but listening to what people want Mm -hmm. and listening to um to their needs Mm -hmm. and the need is what drives uh, a project right and so the the artist model trumpet starting with the chicago uh it's there was a starting place um you know, when I joined Yamaha in 2001 and, you know, choosing a first project and John Hakestrom and I were such good friends and great collaborators and he was only, a, he wasn't a very far away from Grand Rapids in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It just made sense to try to, you know, to, to do something together. And, you know, the idea of 
creating a trumpet that would be um, a good choice to play in the Chicago Symphony, given the history of the instruments and, and all of that, was really monumental. And you would think maybe not even possible, but, um, but that's the path that we went down. And the trumpet that came out of that was really born out of you know, the back and forth conversation and the testing the orchestra and, mm-hmm. you know, the improvements and getting it to a point where, you know, it was acceptable to play in the orchestra and then we mm-hmm. produce it. But then as things continue on and then we end up with the second generation and, and the third. Right. But that trumpet came out of not um, somebody kind of siloed, you know, in a cubicle thinking of what is the great <laughs> next thing? Right. Oh, this is it. Uh, it came out of, it was an evolution of a conversation um, that was kind of focused around a goal. So you've got artist models, you know, the Bergeron, Vizzuti, Bobby Shu, um, Sullivan, Bob Sullivan have one? Bob Sullivan was, um, Bob helped develop the, the first New York uh, oh, model. Right. But okay, so, but the ones with their name attached, uh, what does it take to put, their name on an instrument. Well, their name, actually the, the Z trumpet doesn't, yeah, I mean, people call it a Bobby Shoe and for mm-hmm. good reason, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a, sorry, it was a 6310 Z, you now 8310 Z and then 8310 mm-hmm. Z too. Um, the, uh, you know, there, there are um, signature models, uh, you know, mostly I would say the signature models that are overtly a signature model are probably the ones in Japan with with more Japanese players than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know the the Bergeron model, um, oh, right? You know, so uh, so it's a matter of um, collaborating with these um, world class players to, mm-hmm. to create an instrument that would work really well for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know if you create a, an instrument that's going to satisfy somebody like that, it's a great instrument and it will be successful. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so um, as a regular production horn, uh, you know, there Yamaha has not really gone in the direction of signature models per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those models that have been produced are clearly associated with, you know, with those. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, it's the, the third generation uh, New York trumpets, David Bilger. I mean, that trumpet would mm-hmm. not exist without him. And the variation of that, the YM Bell, you know, that would not exist without Tom Rolfs, um, mm-hmm. you know, in that collaboration. And so they are a huge part of the story, even mm-hmm. if it doesn't say David Bilger on it or Tom Rolfs right. you know, or Wayne Bergeron or Bobby Shue. You know, there's no denying their role in their history. Yeah, it's, I'll edit this out because I'm, everybody you've mentioned, I'm interviewing Wayne Bergeron next week, but I've already talked to, I talked to Tom Rolfs this morning. Um, Dave Bilger a couple of weeks ago. um, uh, Let's see. um, Oh my gosh, I can't think how many of Rex, Ryan, Joe Bergstaller yesterday. And it's like, you know, so many great artists, you mm-hmm. know, play Yamaha. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, sorry, that was just my little realization that, hey, I've talked to all these people. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, the trumpet, uh, I think Jens and Ryan both had one that the blue cancer blows. Um, what a striking 
color, you know, that, and uh, that's obviously a limited production model, or is it a... Yeah, that's not offered through Yamaha. You know, Yens, uh, Yens have those two, oh, okay. especially just, you know, for the Cancer Blows project. And, right. you know, it's a striking visual, you know, and then the engraving Cancer Blows on it, you know, mm-hmm. just really, you know, point attention to uh, Cancer Blows and what that's Right. Um, yeah, the uh, the Song of Hope World Band premiered today. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. No. I, I was in tears by the end of it. It's just, and to see, I forget how many thousands of people or, you know, 1,400 or so people contributed to this. And it's just, it's overwhelming. To it, watch that. Uh, it's an unbelievable, the, you know, I heard about it early on and uh, just the, it is monumental and how you could, you know, wrap your, and sort of how just a technical part of how do you put that together yeah. and something that's i can't wait to see it myself i'm glad to hear it is yeah such a big success yeah. and you know the other nice thing is of course all the stars are there but then you've got these clips of like a six-year-old girl holding a trumpet playing and it's huh. like and i don't know it's just but that's what it was all about i think that's it was well done whoever put that together uh, mm-hmm. was terrific but um yeah, so Yamaha has been fortunate to be associated with some really terrific, yeah, not just yeah. players, but they're great people. That And I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, you know, that's the thing that is, um, that I've enjoyed more than anything, <laughs> um, these friendships and relationships, and and they go back for a long way. Um, you know, uh, you look at Bobby, who uh, whose first... Um, you know, connection with Yamaha happened in Japan, you know, when he was there, I think with Toshiko's band. Uh, and that was, I don't, I think it was probably in the seventies uh, or early eighties, some, somewhere in that time frame. But um, yeah, I am so lucky to have, to be able to call them friends, you know, and collaborators, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, Holkin, you know, being another one um, who, has been um, such an important part of my my career as well, yeah. uh, and uh, you know I think he should develop a Charlie A model C trumpet because you know that's you know that's his project through this pandemic is recording those, all those. Yeah, those recordings are absolutely incredible, and you know uh, the pandemic has been uh, horrible, of course. Absolutely. Uh, if there are good things that have come out of it, you could point to that as being one example because, you know, normally he is so busy uh, and he's got um, these concert dates and other things going on that having the time, you know, to go through and record all of those, um, you know, I would say it's probably safe to say it wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have happened. Um, and now we get to, every week we get to, you know, experience a new one, uh, and that's um, that's incredible. That's and there are others. You know, you think about all the other musicians, um, great musicians at home that are doing the same kind of thing. Jim Walt has been doing regular, um, you know, broadcasts of pieces, and there are a whole host of others that are yeah. new as well. Yeah, that's, that part um, is has been amazing. And thank goodness for technology to be able to share it this way, right? Sure. I mean, making music would probably still be going on, but 
you wouldn't be able to share it like <laughs> like you are now. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's so, you know, technology um, has, thank God that we've had, we have it so that we can stay connected and we can continue to mm -hmm. create and do that kind of thing. But I think as people have gotten into it and become more comfortable with it, I would not doubt that we see some, uh, you know, some new, uh, you know, creations coming out of that probably wouldn't have been thought about, you know, before so many people kind of being forced into mm -hmm. learning how to do it and so on. Yeah. Well, even new on the composition front, I've interviewed a couple of composers uh -huh. in the last little bit. And, you know, this is steered their direction, their creative path sure. is focused on, well, and, and this is true. I mean, uh, creativity is born of traumatic events. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you say, you can't play or sing the blues until you've suffered, mm -hmm. you know, and if we have to find a silver lining, it's that things, new things are going to pop up. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I wish this pandemic had never happened, but we've got to make the best that we can out of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I mean, you, you just have to, that's life, right? You, yeah. you don't know. And, uh, and there are people that are really helping us get through it. People mm -hmm. like Hogan, like Jim, like I, you know, Rob Parton, I don't know if you saw that video that he did uh, a while back, you know, uh, those kinds of things, uh, you know, are what kind of bring you joy and give you the energy to be able to help get through <laughs> all of this stuff. And, you know, music is so important from that, that aspect and mm -hmm. what we all do and, and the part that we play in that society needs it. Yeah. Um, so you're, I, I know you're still working through this, working from home probably. Yep. Um, is, uh, what else are you doing to, to pass the time these days? Well, um, you know, I, um, you know, since I'm not playing trumpet so, so much, uh, kind of my performance outlet has become has been photography, and so uh, that's been a um, a passion of mine mm -hmm. since I was pretty young. Um, but I've um, gotten pretty deep into it in the last, especially the last twenty years. Landscape, uh, flowers. What? Uh, what's the? I miss it's. You know, it's whatever. Um, you know, I'll. Uh, and I've done things from traditional photography, landscapes, um, still, I shot a still life. You know, there was a, um, there was an old dried kind of uh, squash that was, it's been hanging on my fence. Uh, and I've seen it every time I get up, it's right outside the, the slider in the bedroom. And I've not taken it down because I thought, you know what, that's looking pretty good. I bet I could create it. <laughs> uh, so Things like that, uh, you know, fun, fun uh, photo sessions of one of my friends, litter of Kuba mm -hmm. cars, to, uh, you know, other kind of um, kind of out there sorts of things with uh, using multiple exposures and intentional mm -hmm. camera movement, um, you know, just, uh, you know, trying to tell a story in a different way using photography. Mm -hmm. you know? Where can people find this? Well, I share most of it um, on my Facebook page, yep. you know, and, um, you know, the time is coming close to where I should probably uh, organize those in a better place, maybe a website mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's been great. And, you know, working with great artists, I get a chance to uh, to photograph a lot of, of mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, 
one of the highlights of that aspect of it was uh, being able to uh, photograph the entire session of Tom Hooten's um, Williams uh, recording session. And, and so I was fortunate to be able to go there and do that and get permission. I had complete access of the entire sound stage uh, and got some great shots. And then Tom invited me to come with him and Jennifer's wife to meet John Williams and shoot the cover for that. So, mm-hmm. um, so I did the cover for that. Um, that's, Very cool. Yeah. So that's a, you know, that's been fun. And then I've got other little things that I fill in the gaps. You know. Yeah. But you know, uh, Eric Berlin. I don't know if he's a Yamaha guy, but uh, you know, uh, he's into photography as well, and he posts. Mm-hmm some of these shots of the night sky where you can, yeah, how in the world do you capture that? You know, it's just beautiful. He's got yeah. a great eye for that sort of thing. It's he just, does. And uh, I mean, there, there are uh, several of us that, you know, kind of share uh, things and Eric is one, Michael Anderson is, a, is mm. really deep into it. A wonderful photographer um, and kind of really getting into it is David Bilger. Um, so, uh, you know, David is uh, yeah. spent some time trying to figure it out too. Yeah, I th- I remember him mentioning that now in his interview. Yeah, so, well, um, this has been great. Yeah, I, I've yeah. I've enjoyed getting to know more about you, and you know, th- this is not a gear show. We very rarely mm-hmm. talk about that sort of, but I mean, it, it's necessary because this is I'm what you do. Um, yeah. But it's you know, I just I'm fascinated by uh, what you and Wayne have been able to do and. Uh, well, in Yamaha, you know, it's a great company, great product, and yeah. um, and great yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, um, that's why we've stayed, and you know, that's why I think we've really grown ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. is that the support that we've had? And the, you know, the way uh, Yamaha's as a company, you know, their um, you know their goals and passions have lined up with us personally, and it's. Mm-hmm. That's been a really a great fit. It's, it's been great talking to you, and it, you know, it's uh, it's wonderful to get a break in the day to actually have a conversation. Yeah, <laughs> good. I, I mean, well, I, I hope we get a chance to meet in person sometime yeah, that. soon. And uh, in the meantime, please stay healthy. All okay. right, take care. We'll see. Okay. Bye bye. Hey, thanks for joining me today for this interview. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to hear more, you can visit Patreon.com/studiohfl. By becoming a supporter, you can have access to content that is exclusively available to my Patreon patrons. I'd also like to remind you to visit Apple Podcast and leave a star rating and a review, and don't forget to follow me on social media. This has been a production of Powell Music LLC and has been supported by the generosity of sponsors Messina Covers, Eastman Winds, S.E. Shires, Hammond Design, and Pickett Blackburn. Once again, I'm your host, Larry Powell, and you can find out more about me and the rest of the podcast at StudioHFL.com. Thanks for listening, and keep coming back for more great interviews.